Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Beta Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. We're offering a free one hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself and there's no reason you can't as well. Cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day. So if you have a job, or if you have a business or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're gonna have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? now. We're also offering a 15 minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30minutesdoctrader.com forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself. And there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there guys, talk soon. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Good morning and welcome back. Thanks for joining us again here for some more knowledge and sharing more golden nuggets on how you can blast over around and through all those REI obstacles that inevitably pop up for all of us. I am Rob Brake and here with me again, as usual, Sandy McKay. You got a drum roll in there or something. That was a good intro. That was something fresh and new. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Good one. Need, need fresh and new every once in a while. I know. I know. Well, uh, awesome to be here again with everyone. Hopefully, uh, everyone's getting ready for an amazing new calendar year uh, as we sit here and uh, the recording of this, at least if you're watching 2020, the last day of 2020. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, um, more new, fresh goals that don't involve a bunch of uh, a fear and uncertainty. So. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll see how things go anyways. Um, 
it's been a challenging year for sure, but uh, not necessarily a bad one. I think that um, I accomplished thing that would have otherwise sort of been there had this stuff not happened, you know? So it has been interesting in that way. And, and believe it or not, developed some relationships that probably wouldn't have been there if we didn't have to do things this way as well. So definitely some good stuff has come out of it, but it, it has been challenging all around and uh, looking forward to moving past and, and getting to, to the new year. So it has been exciting. Um, everybody listening should, of course, head over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. There they can download our free gift and see all of the episodes that uh, we've recorded so far. You can go back in the archives for the last almost seven years now and, uh, and listen to any and all of our interviews that we've done in the past. And like I mentioned before, our free gift is there, right, Sandy? You can go grab our free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. And uh, also never miss out on an episode when you download that, you get on our our email list where we will uh, share with you everything we're doing and new episodes, uh, seminars, webinars, uh, property tours, all that sort of fun stuff. So make sure you get on that list. So you do not miss out. And, uh, what else we got to talk about before we get into it, Rob, anything else? Oh, well, we usually mention iTunes. <laughs> they can obviously go listen to us on iTunes. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can go find us now. Um, I believe anywhere, at least. Check us out on uh, Spotify. I think we're on the Amazon uh, feed now from what, what I hear, from what I see. Um, <clears throat> Google. iTunes is definitely the major one. Anything going on there lately, Rob? Uh, I haven't looked. I'm going to read reviews next time. But um, we do love to hear what you guys think about the show. So go over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you think. Um, ask some questions there. You can see uh, you can link to all of the guests that have been on the show, all of their all of their infos on there. So, you know, um, many, many ways to get in touch, many ways to uh, let us know what you think. And uh, we greatly appreciate everyone that's done that so far. So keep them coming, guys. I really really enjoy hearing what you have to say and know if i can just add one tiny little piece of advice maybe or wisdom maybe for uh people who maybe have had some challenges this year or think that it's a challenging year uh i really believe that everything in life especially 2020 it's all happening either for you or it's happening against you you get to choose so if you're if you're someone who's sitting there thinking all this crap is happening to you all the time because it's been a rough year it's just your mindset. It's a hundred percent, just a shift in mindset. And you can really take that and run with the into 2021 with um, maybe, maybe some new perspective. Maybe you already know that um, either way, there's been some amazing opportunities in 2020. I think there's going to be more in 2021 with a, uh, with a uh, pandemic to start the year. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in that. Obviously there's some challenges and some terrible things, but there's also opportunities. And uh, if you're open to them, you can go find them. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. A little bit of a little bit of a pump up there for you guys to start off. And uh, and um, we got to open the minds up towards uh, to James here as we bring him on. Right, we got to get people uh, get rid of the 2020 BS and let's let's get ready for a new year, fresh, open mindset, and uh, open to learn. Yeah, our guest James here has some really interesting stuff to say. I'm I'm, I'm excited to get to talk to him. So uh, everybody, please welcome James Burton. Hey, guys. hey, James, I'll give a, a brief uh, background here on James for everyone so they can understand where you are coming from. Uh, James is a very passionate uh, real estate. He's passionate about real estate. He's long career developing purpose-built rentals in Toronto. 2006, he, along with his business partner, Emery Daniels, founded Percy Ellis, 
And Percy Ellis is exclusively focused on central Toronto multi-unit residential and mixed-unit rental property development. Uh, they acquire, develop, construct, and stabilize turnkey investment properties. And their goal is to provide options to fill the missing middle that, can, that exists within the Toronto rental market. So he's passionate about offering alternatives to condo high-rise living or suburban living. And uh, today we're going to talk to him a lot about some of the issues that exist in that, uh, that, uh, in that industry, in that area, and developing housing to fill that missing middle. So welcome to the show, James. Awesome. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Rob, for having me on. It's uh, fun to be here. Yeah, welcome. Lex, and let's start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, the person. Sure. Okay. Well, I come from Fergus, Ontario, small town, uh, just north of Guelph. Um, and both my parents were teachers, so definitely didn't come from a background in real estate. Um, and they made the mistake of, or maybe they did me a favor, uh, of buying me a book called The Wealthy Barber uh, when I was 15. Have you guys heard of that that book? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure most, probably a lot of people on this this podcast have. But um, there was one chapter about, about real estate in that book. And I read it at 15 and kind of it introduced the concept of leverage. And I thought I read it a few times. I kind of went, wow, like they don't teach you this in high school. This seems like such an obvious thing. You know, you can you can with a small amount of money, use a whole bigger chunk of money and make a little bit on the bigger chunk. But then it's so much more and, and just kind of like open my eyes to this idea of leverage and and um and that, that was my real introduction to real estate. And I still went on to do engineering at university. But all the while, I was reading books about real estate investment and development and fixing up houses and things. And uh, I knew when I was done my degree, one way or the other, I'd somehow find a way to get involved in real estate investment and development. Just, just all from reading that chapter out of The Wealthy Barber uh, way back. That's a little bit about me. I think like I'll sort of latch on to something. Um, and get really, really interested in it and, and learn a ton about it, everything there is to learn about it. And then just kind of go down that path for as long as I can. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of people have that similar experience where there'll be uh, this, this just light bulb go off and that shift in mindset of the way that things were, because like, I mean, I remember growing up my, we didn't buy anything unless we had the cash to go and buy it, you know? Cause you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to owe money to somebody for something. <laughs> right? Like, and, and that was the, I'm sure I'm not alone. Like, no, there's everybody sort of starts off that way. That's, that's what school teaches maybe yep. not necessarily, but they don't teach us really anything to do with the <laughs> financial side uh, much. So, you know, a lot of us coming from that starting point and these books, the ones that you're talking about, there's a bunch of them, but that one in particular does, sort of say, Hey, here's a new way of looking at things and here's yeah. of what you can do with it. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Love that. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. That light bulb moment. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it hits you sometimes. Um, and, uh, yeah, you gotta like take advantage of that. Right. And just think about it. And the, the other thing about it, when you're reading that at that age, risk isn't really in the, in the, in the picture and like kind of, you got to take advantage of that a little bit too. Like, you know, as you get older, you just get more risk averse. It's just how you are. So, you know, if you, if you kind of like, if you picture yourself as a youngster reading that and not thinking that risk is a real thing, then you're like, you're set up to take all these um, risks and, and capitalize on these opportunities. And, um, 
that's kind of uh, that's a great thing, you know. And, and as time passes, you become more risk averse, and it's harder to execute on those those opportunities and on those light bulb moments. So I, I think like what you said just um, reminded me, you know, you got to kind of just go for it when when it feels right. It's actually really interesting too that idea of you know starting out younger and having uh, not as much to lose really is what it all comes down to because we've seen you know interviews with people that we've done who have had you know really nice high level corporate jobs paying them big salaries and they've chosen to leave it for rei so you know if they're going to be able to do it when that the problem i think is getting the youth to actually read and understand these books right they're not interested in that i i mean maybe they are now they might not have much else to do right now but they're <laughs> all um you know you want to go out and party and hang out and have fun right you don't want to read the wealthy barber <laughs> imagine the power of just having that book on a school curriculum yeah it's, it's amazing so let's talk a little bit about your company now the Percy Ellis, why did you start that company? Well, first, just your your um, last comment. It did remind me of something, which was when I told my family and uh, my girlfriend at the time that I was going to leave my cushy um, corporate job. It was actually a great job at TELUS in engineering and business development to go just give it a shot in, in real estate investment and development and kind of the looks on their faces. And they kind of thought, okay, well, I'll talk them out of this in a couple of weeks. But uh, they weren't able to talk me out of it. And uh, yeah, it was you know, a one-time thing, do it or, or not. I, I actually asked for a raise at a previous job. And since they didn't give it, I thought, okay, this is my chance to, to do something on my own. Um, so, but yeah, in terms of Percy Ellis, um, it's, uh, why did I start Percy Ellis? I think it's kind of like goes back to the same, same idea. I just wasn't completely loving the alternative options at the time, uh, which were working my, my corporate job. And again, it was a great job, but it just wasn't like, I wasn't feeling that passion, uh, just that drive to like go and do the absolute best that I could. And this bug of real estate investment development was still lingering. And I just, I had to, um, I had to see it through. I had to give it a shot. And, and it's just one of those things. If I didn't do it, I never would have been satisfied or happy in my life. So I thought, well, I'll just give it a full blown shot now and we'll see what happens. And then just never turn back. When you're young too, I was just thinking about that as we started that conversation, just to, I guess, finalize that, that conversation was that, um, you know, there's so many people that we have on too that are that are older and have like kids and families and all that stuff. And just the amount of risk it takes to go leap into something when you're telling your parents or your or your girlfriend, family, whatever, at you know fairly young age. There's 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 some risk there, obviously, but really at the end of the day, worst case scenario, you crash. Yeah. Like there's really not that bad. yeah, there's not that bad. You're not you're not putting your kids you know at risk and whatnot. And I know I think you, you do have a family now. Am I right with uh, my wife, Fern, um, in the other room and no kids. Oh, yeah. Uncle. You're an uncle to a bunch. Of, that's where I read. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a lot more at risk, obviously, at stake once you have family and all that stuff. And I know, I guess Rob's the only one here that really knows about that. But there's there's a lot, <laughs> there's, there's a lot at risk at that point, right? And it's so much easier. Yeah. There's so much more um, leeway, I guess, to really crash and burn. You can always restart. 
right? That's the worst case. You just restart 100%. with more knowledge than you had before. Yeah. Again, like you said, though, Sandy, there's two ways to look at it. And I thought, you know, what am I risking by not doing it at that point in time? Right. Yeah. Cause I, I was, when I bought, I think I was, I think it was, I think it was 29 when I got my first uh, investment property. So, you know, a little bit later on, I wish I was smarter, you know, I wish I could go back <laughs> and, and make it 19 instead, but you know, I, I think just the growth that I've seen even from there, um, has been astounding. So I would say that, you know, you face the same challenges regardless of your age. The risk isn't there 100%, but the challenges involved in getting involved in it, I think are all still there regardless of your age. And some might say like, cause we had built up our credit by then. So it might've been a little bit easier for us to get involved. So, I mean, pros and cons. My point is, whether you're 39, 49, 59, you can still start getting involved. So no matter when you're listening to this, I think that, uh, you know, it's never too late. I couldn't agree more, Rob. My, when my friends ask me about, you know, what to do, buy a pre-construction condo, buy a house, buy a duplex, you know, uh, every time I tell them, just do something. Just do something and do it now. Just don't wait. You know, it's like sitting on the sidelines where there's never a good time. It's kind of like what they say about having kids, actually. Just there's never a good time. Just do it and do it now. And don't think too much about it because you're going to learn more from taking that initial plunge than any kind of book that you read or any kind of future contemplating. You're going to learn the most from just doing something. And you're not going to do it perfectly either. You're going to screw it up probably. So like best to screw it up now and then go and get a little bit better at it each time than to just sit around trying to make the perfect move, which never happens. Totally agree. Totally agree. So for anyone who hasn't heard uh, or doesn't know much about Percy Ellis and what it's all about, what are some of the main like you know keywords and what are some of the, the things that your company does um, and for people to, to know about your company? Sure, yeah. So we, uh, as you said in the intro, we um, build purpose-built rental. So um, our buildings can look a lot like condominium, but they are not uh, individual for sale units. They're individually for lease. Um, and uh, they tend to be in kind of neighborhoods around the periphery of downtown, just the area that we chose to focus. Um, in the beginning, that was because there was a good relationship between land prices and rents. Basically, the land prices were, I guess you could say, significantly lower than in the core um but rents were not significantly uh lower so there was a good relationship there that's kind of what got us started in our neighborhoods um and uh what that has you know over the last 10 years we saw a huge desire for people to live in these local neighborhoods that feel a little bit more like the suburbs but are actually just a short walk or drive downtown so key word being local living local um and walkable and so when you live in any one of our uh, apartments or in our, you know, in our areas, you can walk to everything. You can walk to entertainment, to groceries, to public transit, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just, we kind of believe in that as a philosophy, you know, you, you know, if living somewhere where you can walk to everything is a wonderful thing, you know, being able to avoid the vehicle is a wonderful thing. It just promotes all the good things in life. Like, taking in the nature and exercise and, and those things. Um, so I think living local, I think there's, there's two other things I'd say this 
would love to point out. One is sustainable development. You know, we really have to take care of this this planet. We've only got one, and uh, you know, everybody has to make a contribution. And so, our contribution is in green, green building more and more and more. So we're we're our, our latest development is geothermally heated and cooled, 30 units on River Street by the Humane Society. Um, it's also meeting uh, Toronto Green Standard Tier 2, um, which has a bunch of other elements within the building to make it uh, sustainable. And we just want to keep that going into all of our future developments, geothermal heating and cooling, and continuing to meet more and more certifications in that, in that area. Um, it just has to be done. So that's that's like kind of our, our contribution we can make, direct contribution. Um, and we could talk more about that if you guys are interested. Um, and then the last one is a tenant first mentality. So just, you know, when we started in this business, it was, you know, all about investors. And, you know, your audience I know is probably largely investors. But, uh, you know, for a developer, for us to truly be successful, we have to shift the focus of what we do from the investors and the banks and the financial institutions down to the actual user of the building. And that's the tenants. We have to focus our energy on making sure that they are happy, that we're providing something that they want that improves their life and that, you know, leads them to a better life. And that then translates its way up through the entire process of development into the success and the financial success that's required to kind of keep going. So we've shifted our entire thinking over the last 10 years, especially in the last one year, to just every decision we make, if, if there's ever a time when we're unsure about what decision to make, we think like, what would be best for the tenant? That's that's good and interesting to hear because it's such a very hot topic this year, more than any probably with the landlord and uh, investor community, I guess, in terms of yeah. all, the, all the negatives around that. And yes. uh, and a lot of the obviously there are challenges with the um, uh, the tenancy act and all that sort of stuff, right? That, yep. that a lot of landlords are not exactly excited about. Yeah, when you I think you probably have uh, for whatever reason you've kind of changed the thought around that and changed your mindset on that, which seems to be um, I think probably the right way to go in general. There are some issues there that probably should get changed, but um, <laughs> how do you, how do you kind of what's so your mindset in general is kind of really very pro tenant, I guess, which we don't hear a lot of from, uh, from a lot of, um, I don't know, landlords, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think to me at this point, it's almost like a bit of a myth that, or, or it's almost blown out of proportion that, you know, to be a successful landlord, you have to be, I don't know, it has to be either the tenant wins or the landlord wins. Like it's like almost landlords feel like if they're not, bothering their tenants or letting them down, then they're not being a good landlord. Like that's how far it feels like it's gone almost in, in a way. Whereas in the way that we see it is it's completely the opposite, right? Like it's, you're growing together, right? How could your building not be more successful? How could your building not be more valuable if the people living in it are, are happy, if they, if they want to be there, if they're encouraging you know, even just for the really basic things like leasing up and like, you know, they're going to refer to friends and you're going to keep your building more full. This is a really basic one, but the um, there's other things too. Uh, one of the main, one of the big things that we've seen is, well, I've learned about in the last couple of years is that, you know, financial goals are a great motivator, but they, they don't exactly inspire us to perform our best to work our hardest so in our office 
But if you if we have non-financial goals like providing a better life for for tenants or providing the best possible place to live for a tenant, this is like a goal that can actually inspire me and and my team and everybody involved to think more creatively, to work harder, to get up in the morning and go, what can I do today to actually deliver something that's different, that's unique, that's actually creating a better life for somebody. This is, is inspiring. And therefore, we get together and we work harder and we brainstorm more and we kind of do all the things we need to do in our day-to-day jobs better. And so that's just a, you know, that's probably one of the bigger reasons um, that it's not, it's not either or, it's not landlord or tenant. It can be both at the same time. Sandy, you just put out a post that almost echoed what he just said there about the financial <laughs> goals and that. I think it's uh, it's like spoken like a true millennial. That's what I was thinking. It's just such a, I think that whole millennial group in general <laughs> kind of has the different thoughts on that. Like a, a lot of, I don't know, anyone I, I talk to kind of, and there's all across the board, it's not just this age group, but definitely kind of the under 40 group right now, I, I feel like is a lot less about money yeah. compared to, compared to, you know, other groups, I guess. But it just seems to be a trend that's uh that's picking up i was um i was reading the book on i don't know if you guys have ever read a book on uh, uh patagonia the company but they talk a lot about it's a way older company and the guy who started is i think he's in his 70s or 80s but very similar to what you're talking about there just it's it's their whole thing is about um environment and maintaining that and we have one world and all that sort of stuff which you mentioned already and it's <clears> like it's such a more empowering story to yeah. get behind than just making money yeah, and, so it's it, it's a way better driver of business and, and excitement in business than just financial goals are kind of finite, right? And and you have that that uh, infinite outlook on things. You can always yeah. make, have some inspiration there also, that like, you, that you can get behind, and your whole crew of company or tenants or whoever's involved. You know, they feel proud about being involved in the company, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like it's kind of hard to relay that to the rest of the team too. What the what the company's financial goal is, you know. It, it, it is really hard, I think, for everybody on the team to get super excited about that. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of like to all it is is a number on a screen, right? Like, uh, you know, how it's hard to get excited about a number on a screen. You know, it's like a bank account balance of you or the company or or, or an investor. It's, it's just not intrinsically um, inspiring. Um, great book on that, which was one of the reasons like one of the many books that kind of like got me really thinking about this was how by uh dove sideman i think i think that's what it how it's it's amazing it's it's a involved business management book but it's core principle is it's not what you do but how you do it and it's sort of all intertwined to this same same concept i don't think i've read that one it's kind of like simon Sin- it sounds like simon Sinek. start with why if you've read that one it sounds like similar perhaps or infinite game by simon Sinek too He's got some good ones. I'm going to add that to the list, but I would highly recommend this, uh, this book, how by Dove Seidman. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I was going to, I was going to mention uh, Sandy, because something you said there was uh, I, the way that I see money in our business is a prerequisite, right? Not the goal, but it's a prerequisite. We have to be earning profit or else we don't get to continue on in this, in this business and in this game. Like it's not at all the ultimate goal, but it is just something that absolutely must always be be happening so another thing i say to the team is 95 percent of the goals are going to be obvious based on cost right like in our business like got option a option b 
do a little um, analysis on the cost and the benefit, and then the answer will be clear. But it's those five percent decisions, those five percent decisions that that aren't really um, a cost benefit analysis, and those are the ones where we think tenant first or um, whoever's involved in the process. How's it going to benefit them? And then that making those five percent of the decisions based upon that thinking, what's the right thing to do as a human, not as a business? That kind of like can tip the balance, tip the scale toward doing better things, more meaningful things. So, with all that in mind, let's talk about some of the lessons that you've learned through um, the, the history of the company. We talked about a couple, but is there any more things that you've learned, like that have really stuck with you? Sure. Yeah, that that that's a good one. That there's more to it than than money, but um, I think, and then you know, taking care of the environment. Those are two big ones. But I think the third one is. Third one in this business is that change is really hard and change is really scary for most people. And so the default um, position for most people is to fight change. Um, but it doesn't, it, it can be a lot easier, I think, than, than what it seems to be at first. And uh, the, the difference maker is communication and early communication. And so, again, this isn't stuff we've known for 10 years. We haven't been implementing this for 10 years. This is stuff that I've learned and the team's learned over the last couple of years. And the more we've sort of learned it and honed in on it, the more we implement it and the more we see the benefit of it. But in, in the context of our business, this means going into the communities in which we're developing as early as possible and opening up a line of communication and just saying, here's how you contact us here we bought this land um here's like a rough idea of what we might be doing but we haven't set our plans yet so now's the time to tell us what your concerns are tell us what you know what general concerns you have in the community that maybe we could factor into our overall plan somehow um tell us what has been done poorly in this community in the past tell us what's been done well and by doing this we have found that like the tension levels have gone down 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 right because it seems that people are just more afraid of bad change but once they realize the people involved um you know are interested in doing good then that sort of tension just kind of like releases from the process and uh it doesn't mean we can sort of factor in all of the feedback in terms of the way the building's going to ultimately look but if we could factor in some of the like some help, some assistance towards some other concerns in the neighborhood throughout our process, that can go a long way. Yeah, that's very good. And you know what? One of the areas that I think should really be addressed as far as like that fight change mentality goes is all of the heritage heritage designations that uh, like I see are sort of ruining the downtown core of these smaller areas that I'm taking this and going off in a different direction, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I've seen, like, you know, there's some smaller communities around here that have really suffered, I think, like, as far as um, the vibrancy of the downtown core goes, because no one's allowed to do anything with these buildings, right? And a lot of them are ending up vacant. So that's one place where I think that that change of thought would go a long way, you know? that I mean, I don't think it should be cut and dry. I think it should be open for discussions and and you know figuring out how to exactly bring people what they need in in the town right like yeah 
be, hey, we don't want change. Yeah, that's a little too black and white, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the 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 heritage. You're you're touching on such a tough item, Rob. Just uh, you know, the sort of for change people like yourself and myself, perhaps, are like bring commerce, bring people, bring energy, bring vibrancy. And then you have um, a whole other camp, which I agree with as well, which is preserve history, preserve the culture, preserve the feel. And it's like trying to reconcile these two things is really difficult. And, uh, you know, it's this, this engaging the community early and finding the balance that's important. And that, you know, just, just saying, you know, I'm not going to come in here and just try to wipe everything out and change everything and like do it our way. And, but we need you to understand that, you know, things can't stay exactly the way that they are. There is a way to bring in the new, uh, the new things, the change, the vibrancy, and to respect what you, you know, love about your neighborhood now. And, and it's, it just, it's just communication, you know, and there really is a way, I think almost in every single circumstance to do it, but where, where the buildings don't get touched or remain vacant, it's probably because the developer or, you know, ha there hasn't been the compromise required, right, on both sides. Makes sense. It's a tough. It's, it's what a year for change. This year was, and probably next year too. The so many things in the world are changing. I think we just generally need to be open minded to a lot of different things, and um, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot we could go down. A lot of different yeah. trails we go on that, but yes, uh, yes. What, what, what do you see coming then in the, in the future, maybe post COVID type of real estate market? Is there anything that you're <laughs> seeing or that you're uh, anticipating from, from the business you do that uh, might evolve or change? I think so. I think a lot still to be remains to be seen, you know, but uh, just given that I think none of us know if this um, is going to be a truly a thing of the past or just like um, maybe something that we think is going to crop up more and more often into the future. Um, so I think like if there becomes like a, a certainty one way or the other on that, that'll change the outlook. But regardless, I think a lot of our issues remain consistent, um, may be amplified, which is providing a, an actually good place to live. Like, you know, the, the difference being, Maybe before people would either buy or rent um, something just to meet their current need, you know, because, oh, I'm going to, you know, the next place will be bigger or better or the next place will be what I really want. Uh, but for now, this is fine. And maybe the way that we see it is that might change a bit into um, post-COVID times because who knows, you might get stuck in that, that place that you're in for, you know, six months without being able to to move. So I think the quality of places to live is going to be to, to properly compete. You're going to have to do better. Developers are going to have to do better. Um, landlords are going to have to do better. Uh, and, and this was, this was a trend emerging already like customer service in the world of real estate is a huge, it's a trend for, for a good reason. You know, customer service is number one priority in every other business. Why isn't it in, real estate. I don't know why. It just hasn't been for many, many decades. Maybe it's just been controlled by companies that just didn't have that focus. And so um, going forward, I think customer service, along with providing truly good places to live, which involves things like greenery and 
you know, outdoor space and um, lots of other things. I think that that might be the difference between the more successful companies in a post-COVID world and the least and the less successful who aren't who aren't recognizing this need for quality. And those are good points. Obviously, people are, uh, you know, sometimes they would just use their house or condo or unit as a as a place to crash and sleep and maybe eat a, eat a meal or two and yeah. maybe off to work or something, doing other things all day, right? Whereas obviously that's changed maybe temporarily, maybe longer term, probably longer term in, in a lot of cases. And yeah. so uh, I definitely agree with that. I think we need to, having a longer term or bigger picture outlook on that is definitely advantageous comes back to the whole financial thing right because doing those changes making those changes is not necessarily the most financially beneficial in the short term it might be maybe it is actually but it doesn't feel like it is i I, yeah it's that's such an interesting one i mean i guess if if um if the trend is toward quality and you're not providing quality well that could be pretty expensive right you could lose your 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 tenants you could lose your buyers you you know your entire way of doing things could become obsolete in which case that's going to be a pretty expensive mistake to make so maybe adding in the quality costs a little more but you know keeps you keeps you profitable keeps keeps you just moving in the right direction whereas some might just sort of stop and die so i think it is uh, it's always relative in terms of that discussion but again i think that you know, when you are uh, you, you and a team are providing something awesome, something new, something unique, something with features that haven't been provided before, um, it's inspiring and it makes you do good work. And, and you know, at the end of the day, the good work of the team is maybe the most important factor in the whole process. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. I think, uh, you know, it's almost the it, it's almost like the cookie cutter mentality is going away in, in yes. a sense. Right. I think that's probably. Totally. Because that was a big, I mean, that was anything, even my wife and I were looking at homes and stuff to live in personally. It's like, we just, cookie cutter stuff is not really appealing, but that was, this has been for years, but they still have been succeeding, I guess, for the most part, those developers doing those type of communities. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, I, like, I, I think it's probably going, disappearing a little bit. Yeah, in, I think in you're right. I, I like that, uh, that, that what you said there. I think that cookie cutter is sort of losing its edge a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So how does your company adapt to meet the needs of communities that you develop in? How, I, I, kind of in line with that same question there, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah how, how do you actually look ahead and see those those things that you need to adapt into? Or I guess that comes down to communication and stuff with the community, but how do you actually do that? Yeah, like it is all interconnected. So I, you know, don't want to say the same thing over and over, but, you know, truthfully, it is a lot about this. Um, what does adapting mean really, I guess, you know, like for us, adapting means everyone is happy in the process, really, right? Like why build a building if you're going to bother or annoy or or upset all the people around the building, then you're just bringing in this negative energy into a neighborhood for what, a decade for, for five years of, of development and construction. And then five years after that, like, that's a really harsh thing to do to upset so many people so directly in their everyday life you know and so we don't want to do that we just think that that is a silly thing to do it's like okay so we bring good a better life to x number of tenants but at the expense of the lives of all these uh neighborhood neighbors and people in the community that seems really not very good trade-off so our um 
how do we adapt? We really care about everyone in the process. This again, I, I can't say this has always been us for 10 years, right? Like this is, we've learned and evolved and we've made decisions to change the way we do things because we've been in long disputes with neighbors and communities. And I've kind of gone scratch my head and gone like, why am I fighting with all these people? You know, like they're good people. You know, I'm a good person. Like everyone at the company is good. Why is this happening? What? So at the end of the day, we kind of went, we have to just do better at listening to the people in these communities and what they want actually does matter. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit completely out of characteristic in terms of what a developer would want, right? Like it doesn't matter if that's what they want then we got to listen. We have to listen and say, okay, so we can't do that exactly, but we do have it in our power to do this, this, and this, which like is in the same direction as what the community wants, right? And then when they see that, okay, they probably like, I'm talking about certain uh, community members, they kind of go, they always knew we couldn't say, put a park there instead of a building, right? But that would be their way of expressing their fear of the change or the fear of the like, what what's to come. So we go, well, we can't put the park there, but what if we could put a uh, pick up and drop off uh, parking spot and a park bench and expand this corner into maybe a little parkette? Um, what about that? And then all of a sudden we're starting to like meet in the middle and we're sort of, they're seeing that we're trying and uh, we're seeing that they're bending. And then all of a sudden everybody gets a little bit happy. That's sort of us adapting into saying what you guys care about does matter to us, you know? them as like you're the guy that just screams concrete everywhere you know uh, yeah. yeah not being that guy <laughs> but um that's got to be pretty evident early on i think in the process right so if you get i mean so i guess what you've said there is if it becomes evident that you know the people aren't interested the people in the area aren't interested in in working with you then then have you moved on and said you know what we're we're just not gonna we're not going to take this on. You know, usually we we have already sort of made our decision to proceed with, say, for example, the purchase of a old building or a piece of land prior to the community engagement process. So usually we're already like you know two feet in at the at that point. And the new mindset that we have is we must we must bring them on side. We must, you know, and and that means maybe more and more compromise, right? Or just more and more time discussing, talking, helping them see that we are trying to do something good, helping them trust us that we're not just in this to make a few bucks, get out, you know, and leave the, the community devastated. Like we are, well, first of all, we're long-term owners, so we're here for the long haul. So that does sometimes give some at least initial comfort, um, but we got to just do better and better and better. So I think the answer is no, we can never really say, uh, you know what, forget these these particular folks. They're too unreasonable or they're too unrealistic. We have to just make it happen. We have to sort of listen no matter what is going on. And, you know, we are all human. We can all, you know, we can all get our guard down. It's just, it's just a bit difficult. And sometimes um, it requires you got to give the benefit of the doubt over and over again. And then eventually you can see eye to eye with just about anybody. I think that that's the plan right now. That, that's what we've been doing. You know, we've been the harder the person or the harder the group or the more opposition that they have been uh, 
putting our way, we see it as just more and more of a challenge to bring them onto our side or not to our side to see me to, yeah. to find common ground. Yeah. So like, I mean, do you have any tricks? Cause that does seem like opposing interest <laughs> running the business, making money for your investors, and then also prioritizing the values of the tenant and local community. They really do seem to be opposing ideas. Right. So how, what, what's the trick to balancing that? Again, you know, the, the amount of, because we have the benefit of 10 years of experience and the majority of that time in fights, let's call them fights, in opposition with neighborhood, we have as much experience as anybody knowing what happens when you're at odds with your community and your neighbors. It, it never ends, the issues, the calls to the city, the, um, the um, calls to municipal authorities, uh, the sort of negotiations that go nowhere the um then even like feelings of anger and spite and sort of like a clouded decision making and there's just so many things that are that can become a problem it's endless really and so and then like the negativity inside the office you know the negativity around the site on the sidewalk uh even like you know your snowplow guy all of a sudden he's in an argument with the neighbors because he's he's heard through the grapevine that they're they're not the best people or something like it just it kind of spreads and so you know to it usually doesn't take that much to uh befriend a neighbor even if they're sort of they have goals that are opposite of yours so i think again i think it's a bit of a myth i really do that it sort of has to be one or the other i think like we all get a little bit egotistical when it comes to um you know, one common thing that we've said in the long past was, well, shouldn't they realize that, you know, our brand new beautiful building is going to raise their property value? And like, that's kind of stupid thinking, right? Because like, maybe A, they don't care if their property's values raised at the expense of blah, 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 right? Or maybe you don't know that they believe that. Maybe it's not even true for sure, you know? And uh, so the idea isn't to just force feed neighbors and communities ideas that we have, but to listen to their concerns and ideas. And at the end, stop all these future headaches, like endless headaches and negativity and replace it with, you know, neighborly behavior and optimism and inspiration in the office. And, you know, it's hard. We're, we're working on a diagram to chart out visually how caring about the neighborhoods and the communities and the tenants translates directly into financial gain. Cause it is there, it is, there is a clear path, but it is a bit of like a meandering path. Um, and sometimes it's not an immediate reward, but it's a, it's almost always kind of down the line a bit. That yeah, I explain that uh, at all. <laughs> I get there. I think, I think pretty, I, I think pretty close at least that's a hot, hot okay. kind of, I don't know if it's a hot topic, but it's an interesting topic because it's uh, definitely something that is hard to quantify, like yes, in the short term for sure. Because it's there's all even the you know the negative mindset in the office and what that does to a, a bottom line over the long haul. Like that's a really hard thing to chart out, but definitely I could see in the shorter term too impact of that. And also, um, one question I had on that is in, if you're talking to because you guys do raise money for projects and have investors on board, is that right? For mm -hmm. a lot of these, a lot of these projects you do. So when you're talking yeah. to those those folks about that, and they, you know they're throwing money into your your uh, 
your project or your development or company. What do those conversations look like when you're explaining that to them? Do they do they see that easily, or is that something that sometimes uh, uh, objections that come up around that because they get a little weary about what that might look to their bottom line and their investment? Yeah, I think that uh, we have had a bit of pushback on this. You know, this sort of oh, it does investing with Percy Ellis mean buying into this concept of you know carrying results in financial reward? And uh, that's kind of like a bit deeper than most investors would necessarily need to go in order to make a decision because usually we're sort of looking at pro forma and expected results. And it's all based upon um, metrics that are pre-established like future rents, future cap rates, um, future costs. And, you know, so then where does this caring factor in? Well, there might be a line in the pro forma that is community benefits. That's unnecessary expenditure on on the community. And so at the end of the day, that becomes kind of like, it's not a huge deal. It's not, it's not going to make or break the whole process. It really isn't, right? And so if you're going to invest with PerCLs, we're going to ask that you trust that we actually do know what's best for the project. That's why you're investing with us in the first place. So um, and then the side benefit is you get to know you're investing with a responsible company that actually cares about the communities in which they're building, the people in which they're interacting with throughout the process. Um, that includes the people at the office, consultants, and uh, you know construction workers too. I mean, that's a tough one. That's a whole other discussion because construction is a tough business. But um, you know, you, you know, so whatever, whatever perceived. Um, I don't know, quote, wasted money on the community, um, you maybe could feel like good about the investment as a, as a flip side. So I suppose even if you, you don't believe the concept per se, well, you could feel better about yourself that you're investing in a company that cares. Well, I mean, it keeps the process moving too, right? Like you said, if you've got two, like if you've got these, these different sides butting heads, then mm -hmm. no progress being made. Right. But oh yeah, if you, if you consider this almost like a, a move ahead fund really yes. for the yes. investors. If they 100%. Were that way, I think that, you know, they can wrap their heads around that really easily. Right. Like, this is a oh yeah. Fund where this is a get along and, and make progress happen fund. Yes. Yes. So, uh, well put that's going on my diagram, bro. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. <laughs> um, so you've just recently completed a development, right? Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So 1553, uh, 1555, 1557 Bloor Street West. It's um, 18 units, 15, uh, three, 12 three-bedroom apartments, um, three bachelor apartments, and three commercial studios, uh, which are kind of storefronts, um, but could also be used for... Um, any anybody running any kind of a business um, with direct access off of Bloor, um, yeah. This is you know this one is a bit of an interesting like we believe a lot in two and three bedroom units in the apartment space and that there's just an undersupply in the city in general. Um, coming to market with this product um, during COVID was a bit of a challenge because a lot of people renting three bedroom apartments, especially in this location at Bloor and Dundas, which is where there is the Up Express, the Subway, the Go, Streetcar, it's, it's a mobility hub in Ontario. 
you're going to get, you know, couples with a roommate or um, even roommates or, um, you know, you're going to get like three bedrooms results in sharing, especially in these like really highly desirable neighborhoods in Toronto. And sharing just has not been the, the, the theme during COVID. So, you know, but we're going to, we've just leased up another one of the apartments. Um, it's a beautiful place to live. You know, you can get everywhere. It's kind of like exactly in line with our live, lo live local and walkable um, theme in our company. You can do everything uh, without a vehicle in this location. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, for you guys, I please take a look. I think the building itself is beautiful. Uh, Studio JCI designed it and um, it's a lot of brick and, and glass and a wood feature and very modern, um, fits really well into the context of the neighborhood. It's only five stories. So, you know, for being on Bloor, I think it's very modest um, built form and density, which, uh, you know, is, is always welcome in a community when you're not coming in and going up 10 or 20 stories. So, um, yeah, we're, we, I mean, we love the development. We think it's wonderful. Um, the, and it should be leased up and operating in about six months. So you've got, uh, um, I guess, social media site where people can look into this? Yes, yeah. So our website, um, I know we have a um, lot of stuff on uh, Instagram with regards to this building. Uh, Percy underscore LS underscore development. That's, um, that's our Instagram. And uh, Twitter as well at Percy Ellis Dev. Um, but easiest, you know, contact myself, James at PercyEllis.com or Katie, uh, Katie at PercyEllis.com or Tanya, Tanya at PercyEllis.com. Contact any of us for any information on this project or the company or really just to reach out and ask any questions about anything we talked about today. Um, we are definitely open door policy company with anyone and everyone tenants listeners um so certainly i'm always around to chat or or discuss anything with anybody yeah i think you might get some interest on that it's pretty because it's a different version of development i think from compared to most which is cool and exciting does that building have a lot of the green uh elements that you talked about mm -hmm. um uh like the greener outlook and environment friendly all that sort of stuff not really it was uh designed back in 2015 um when we were really just getting our, our feet wet in terms of like larger scale stuff. So this is a bit of a game changing one for us at the time. Uh, it was bigger. Um, we were just in the process of building a five unit on Sheridan at college. So this was really a step up. And for us, it was kind of like in the survival stage, like we weren't thinking the same way that we're thinking today. You know, we were thinking, okay, let's do something really beautiful. That looks really, really nice. Let's go with our three bedroom uh, concept because that's what's in need and that's undersupplied. But we hadn't quite got into, hmm, I wonder if we could do geothermal heating and cooling, or I wonder if we could achieve tier two uh, Toronto Green Standard status with this. So, you know, every single project we've been taking leaps and bounds forward. This was, this one was like a leap forward in scale. Um, and then the other one that we're in, in construction on right now, about 75% complete uh, on River Street. 30 units that one's like a, a huge leap forward in terms of the sustainable building um another really cool thing about 41 river street is the uh smart building technology so in every suite there's a built-in wall pad um and 
and then it comes with an app as well on your phone and you can let people in remotely into the building and into your suite. You can monitor um, leaks in your suite. You can monitor remotely your uh, carbon monoxide. You can control your heat remotely. Um, you can uh, you, you get notification of the fire alarm going off. You can access all the cameras all around the building from your phone or from within your suite. Um, notice of package delivery. Um, and one of the cool things we've, we're putting uh, exterior cameras on the outside of the building that not only face the door for security, but also face out into the street and the surrounding areas. And our uh, intent is a bit of a neighborhood watch to benefit not only the residents of our building, but also the surrounding communities and to sort of let everybody know that everyone in this building is is 24 hour access to these cameras, which are on the street all around the building, which will encourage um, safety right and so um this uh the the evolution of smart building technology is something we're we're really focusing on a lot um as well and river was kind of like our first jump into that into that one yeah that sounds very cool congratulations on that thank you i know our last guest uh riley was big into that green energy too so he'll probably be reaching out to you awesome well, i hope to hear from him um so I guess the best way for people to get involved would be say your email address again. Is that the best? Yeah, yeah that's the best. Yeah. To Katie, James, or Tanya at com. Great. Perfect. And uh, anyone who's listening though, that info will be in the show notes. So you can click on in there and, and just uh, get in touch with James and learn all about this stuff that he's been telling us about today. It's been a really good interview actually. So Great. Um, great. It's been really fun, Rob, Sandy. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I love it. I love the concepts. I love how uh, it's for, I don't know if it's super forward thinking at this point. I think it's just the way people need to start doing, doing this stuff. Totally agree. It's, it's the, the, the um, step forward that the world's taken in this past year has been like a massive leap in a lot of ways, probably a lot yeah. of, a lot of in this topics we've talked about here. I think it's just gone. It, it's, taking such a big quick leap forward that people need to kind of embrace this change or else they're going to be left behind. Yeah, it was, it was going in that direction, but it definitely accelerated, you know? Yeah. It's just that this is one of those things that people are, people don't know that they would be looking for until they see it. Right. Yeah. Like, and when yep. they see it, they're going to be really impressed. So true. Um, it's just like when you were talking about all that stuff, it's like, I just can't uh, like, I don't even think that I would consider any of that stuff until I was told about it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's why we're, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I really want to talk to guys like you who have access to a lot of uh, people in the country that are listening and to sort of spread this news, honestly, like to be successful in development, you have to do, we have to do a better job. And, and, and the more people know that there are developers trying to do a better job of listening, and caring, the more I think the fear of change will diminish um, when when they realize that it's not just us, right? There's a lot of developers doing these better things, you know, and thinking about things more holistically. All right. Well, thanks for sharing so well, much, you, man. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you coming out, taking the time New Year's Eve to talk to us. Uh, thanks again, man. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Sandy. H Happy New Year's to both of you. Sandy, how can awesome. people Thanks, James. get in touch with you? 
Realtynetwork.com. You can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.